You're listening to the City Hope Church podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope this can inspire you and build your faith. Enjoy the message. Let's dive right into our lesson today. And I told you guys earlier, this lesson is just something that's very important to my heart. Um, I want to start off with a story. It's the story of the farmer. And so there's this farmer and he was a, a very wealthy farmer. He, he was very good at what he did. And so the farmer had a horse, and the horse helped him with all of his farming duties. And one day, this horse escapes. It runs away, nowhere to be found. And so the village people hear that this horse escaped, and, and they come to his house, and they're like, man, we're so sorry to hear about your horse. You know, it just makes your job harder. We hate to hear that. You must be devastated. And the farmer responds with two words, well... Maybe. The next day, the village people wake up, and not only did the horse come back, but 10 other horses came with him. And everybody sees these horses. They run down to the farmer's house, and it's like, man, you should be so excited. Not only did your horse come back, 10 more horses came. You'll get the job done twice as fast, or I guess 10 times as fast, and you're, gonna, you're just going to be so wealthy. You are so happy for you. How do you feel? And the farmer just responds, well... Maybe. The next day, the son and the farmer are out on the field, and and they're trying to train these horses, these 10 wild horses. One of the horses is a little rambunctious, and and the horse knocked the son off off of its saddle, and the son broke his leg. And the farmers, or the village people hear about this, and they come to the the farmer's house like, man, we... We're so sorry to hear about this. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to do your job now. You don't have a second set of hands. And the farmer just responds, well, maybe. The next day, there's a war going on in their country. And, and the uh, military leaders come to their home and to the farmer's home. And they see they're here to recruit the son. And they get to this house and they see the son can't go anywhere. His leg's broken. He can't fight. So they leave without recruiting the son, and the village people come to the house, and they're like, man, you must be so happy. Your son's going to be safe. He's going to be home. He's going to be healthy. You must be so happy. And the farmer responds, well, maybe. And there's a couple things we can learn from this story. One is that people are always watching, and they always find something to, to snoop on you about. But the, the second thing is that we do not have the perspective to know what's going on in our lives. Uh, or what's going to happen in the future. And when we don't uh, have the perspective to see what's going to happen, we don't understand whether what happens in our life or in the present is good or bad. We just have to understand that what may be good is good and what may be bad is bad. In fact, uh, theologian Soren Kierkegaard says, life is lived forward but only understood backwards. And to take that a little bit further, hindsight is twenty twenty. You guys can look back, and, and it's kind of funny because 2020 is in the past now, but we can go back and look and see that, you know, look back at situations like, man, it all works out. I should have done things this way. I should have done things that way. So there are things going on in your present that don't make sense now, but that doesn't mean that it won't make sense. And that brings us to the title of today's lesson. Today, I want to talk to you about the power of perspective. Turn to your neighbor and say, the power of perspective. I'm a very literal person. I like to know what I'm talking about. So before I even started writing this lesson, I wanted to look at the definition of perspective. The definition of perspective is a particular attitude or way of regarding something, a point of view. 
Perspective is a very powerful thing. Perspective molds us and helps us develop our character. Perspective helps us shape our thoughts, decisions, actions, and ultimately, the outcome we want. Perspective allows us to see a situation or event in many different ways. However, though, uh, though perspective is powerful, it's also very dangerous. Perspective allows us to focus on things only through our eyes. While yes, we can see many different perspectives, we tend to only look at things one way, and we look at situations from one side of the story. How many of you know somebody who does this, that when they tell a story, they only tell one side of the story? I can raise my hand and say I am one of those people. Uh, we have people who, who only tell one side of the story because it makes them look good or makes the other person look bad. And there's actually a psychological defi definition of this on why we do this. Uh, when we go through a situation and only see the things we want to see, it's called selective perception. And John Lubbock, he's a psychologist who talks extent in extensive detail about perception. Um, he talks that selective perception is what we see is determined by what we look for. So over my time with you today, we're going to talk about perspective, and we're going to talk about a Bible character who I believe is a, a huge demonstrator on how powerful your perspective can be. Before we dive into, if you have your Bibles, turn to Job chapter 1. But before we dive in, I'm going to lead us in a, a quick prayer as we get started. Uh, God, we love you. And God, we thank you again for, for an amazing worship session, an amazing time just to be in your presence. God, I pray that as we're here today, God, that God, you, you open up our hearts to listen to you, open our ears to hear from you, God. And God, uh, I just pray that, that every single person in this house today uh, hears from you today and gets a new touch from you. God, let these words be used by you and for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Job chapter one, we read that in the land of us, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and had large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. We learn right off the bat that Job is a good man. Not only is he a good man, he's a wealthy man. Job is basically everything that we as Christians aspire to be. We read here that Job is, he hates evil and he fears God, which is all things that as, as Christians we should do. But not only that, he's wealthy. I don't know a single one of us in here who say, I don't want to be wealthy, right? All of us want to be wealthy. Job is exactly all the things that we want to be. If we keep reading in verse 6, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Another translation says, been searching the earth for someone to torture, someone to torment. Then the Lord, uh, let's see here. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright a man who fears God 
and shuns evil. Now, time out. Time out. We just learned that Job is a, a wealthy man. He fears God. He hates evil. And Satan's on the earth. And he's trying to find someone to attack. And God goes, hey, I know a guy you can attack. Hey, I know a guy you can pick on a little bit. Have you considered my servant Job? And if I were Job and I'm over here in this conversation, I'd be like, hey, God, hey, life is really good right now. Uh, can you not pick on me, please? Can you not do this? And I love as the verse keeps going, we read in verse 9 that Satan replies, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. I'm going to stop right there real quick. How does Satan know this? How does he know that everything Job has is blessed? And there's only one explanation. The Satan has tried to attack Job before. Satan has tried to go after Job, his family, everything he has before. And what Satan is saying here is that I can't get to him because your hand's on him. I want to take a brief moment and think, how many things in your life has Satan tried to come against? How many things in your life have, have there been hidden protection from God and Satan can't get to you? Some of you in here today, you know, you're like, life's good. Life's great. But what you don't realize is on the outside is the enemy's trying to take you out and tear you down. And I think we need to take a moment and be thankful for the hidden protection of God in our life. Verse 12, it says, the Lord said to Satan, very well then, Everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and we're getting ready to dive into some deep stuff. I'm going to read the rest of this chapter here. Bear with me. I'm going to try to be quick for you. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped. While he was still speaking, in other words, when it rains, it pours, another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the older brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his ground right here. Then he fell to the ground in worship, not in agony, not in, you know, despair, in worship, and said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. In the matter of seven verses, Job went from the richest man in the land to having nothing. 
He lost everything, and yet what does he do at the end of the chapter? May the name of the Lord be praised. He praised God. And I think we can learn from Job throughout this chapter and throughout the book of Job many different things. Job stood firm in his faith through trials and tests. So today, I want to talk to you about the power of perspective, but more specifically, I want to talk to you about how to fix your focus. Three big things that we need to know is number one, what you are looking for determines what you will see. Have you ever been around someone who's negative? Anybody in the house? Come on now. All of us have been around someone who's negative. Uh, you know, it could be something as simple as you say, man, the sky is so blue today. And they're like, well, time out now because you see that rain that's coming on Friday. I know it's only Sunday, but that rain's coming on Friday, so you better enjoy it now. Or you go out to eat with someone and you have this beautiful burger, you know, wherever a good burger place is here, but you have this, this gorgeous burger and it's so good and you're satisfied. You're like, man, that was so good. And they respond, well, you know, mine was super greasy and not cooked all the way through, made me bloated. And, you know, it just wasn't that good. And it's like, bro, don't rain on my parade. Come on now. I was just trying to have a good meal. You, I'm trying to have a good outlook and you're ruining it. And this is the same thing that's going on with Job here. And I want to, I'm going to give, they don't name Job's wife anything. So we're going to call her Nancy. You know why? Because she's negative. She's a negative Nancy. And I want to talk to you a little bit about Job's wife here. Job's wife is a negative person. And what do negative people do? Negative people look for negative outlooks. You can never convince someone who's negative to be positive. They're constantly looking for the negative. In fact, Job just lost everything. He's devastated, obviously. And all he was left with was his wife. And in chapter 2, we hear, uh, we, we see that Job... Um, God has told Satan, hey, I'm going to take my hand off of Job. You can attack his body. Basically what God's doing is like, hey, see how far we can go, Satan. I trust Job. So Job still doesn't curse God. In Job chapter 2, verse 9, uh, Job's wife, negative Nancy, responds to him and is like, are you still maintaining your integrity? Are you still praising God? Curse God and die. And I feel bad for Job here because he's obviously in, dis in despair. He's obviously upset, but yet the dude is like still praising God and his wife, negative Nancy over here, is looking at the negative and is saying that just curse God and die already, that you don't deserve this. But, you know, Job just lost everything, but I'm also very thankful for what Job does here because he is showing us that what to do when around negative people. He's showing us that despite constantly being reminded about his troubles, he still never questioned nor cursed God. When we, are going through, uh, when we are going through situations that may cause our focus to veer off God, we have to be like Job and focus on God. My next point is where you are seated determines what you see. In Job chapter two, after Job endures the nagging of his wife, we see Job's friends come to pay him a visit. And the Bible says in Job chapter 2, verse 13, and I want you guys to pay very close attention here, that they sat on the ground with him, not where he was sitting, with him, for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. We later read in chapter 3 that they began to ask Job why he has been through all these things. They questioned 
Job on why is he not responding to God? Why are you not angry at God? And there was a part, the part of me that wondered for a long time why Job was silent. And if it were me, if I even went through a portion, if I stubbed my toe in the morning, I'm like, God, why me? Why must I struggle? All I'm doing is, is serving you. But Job did not. He was silent. And I'm sure many of you would do the same thing I, I would do if, if like, we had any opposition. We'd, we'd question, like, why am I going through this? And I want to I hit this point here. When our focus is off of God, our perspective is distorted. When we are looking at the wrong place, we see the wrong things. But when we look at God in the midst of chaos, there begins to be peace to know the outcome is in God's hands. And as I was reading chapter 2 and 3 over and over and over again, it finally hit me on why Job didn't respond. Now I'm going to tell you this with the story. How many of you guys like to go out to eat? Yeah, I love going out to eat, uh, obviously. But so you go out to eat with somebody and, and me, me personally, I went out to eat with this friend of mine and, and we're going out to eat and I, I look across the room and I see this nice food, plate of food walking across the room and I'm just watching it. I lock eyes and I'm like, I'm not trying to be weird with the server, but I'm just looking at the food. And I'm just like, oh yes, that's what I want. I don't know what you're having, but I want it. So I tell my buddy, I'm like, man, do you see that food over there? And my buddy's like looking and he's standing up on his chair and he's, he's looking around. He gets up out of his chair and moves out of the way. And I'm getting frustrated with him. And I'm like, dude, it's right there. And after a couple, you know, comebacks at each other, he's like, Tyler, I'm not sitting where you're sitting. So I can't see what you see. Job was sitting where no one else was sitting. So no one could see what he was seeing. Job had seen God's faithfulness before. So Job knows how good God is. But everybody else around him has not seen the hand of God in their life or they haven't seen it to the extent that Job had. Job was sitting where no one else was sitting. While everyone else saw chaos and destruction, Job saw God in his faithfulness. And I I like to tell personal stories, and uh, this one's a little raw. It, ju it just happened about, about a year ago. Um, I moved home, and uh, we, one day I was coming upstairs to say bye to mom before I went to work, and my mom was just quiet. And my mom's normally not quiet. I come upstairs, and worship music's playing, and she, or she's listening to a sermon. And so I come upstairs like, okay, mom, I'll see you later, and no response. I was like, this is, this is weird. So I go in there and my mom's just kind of just sitting there and my mom, what's going on? And she's like, I, I found a lump on my collarbone and I'm going to go to the doctor, find out what's going on. And a couple of weeks passed, about a month passed to just test and try to figure out what's going on. My mom sits us three kids down at the kitchen table and she's like, guys, I've, I've been diagnosed with cancer. And immediately in my mind, it pops up destruction. I'm going to lose my mom, death. You know, just, I, I remember sitting at the table and me and my sister lock eyes and and I'm trying to be the strong one. I'm the oldest. So I'm trying to be the strong one, but I just wanted to cry. But I look at my mom, and she's just smiling. And in my mind, I remember thinking, and this was a constant thing throughout her entire process, was how are you smiling? How are you maintaining so much peace? How are you, and, and I actually, I took, my mom never, I never heard my mom complain once. But me, I took the role of Job. I was like, why, God? 
Why is my mom going through this? God, my mom has served you faithfully in the kids' ministry at her church for years. God, my mom works a full-time job. She works for the state of Illinois. So basically what that means is that she's actually working like double time. And then when she gets done with that, she goes, she goes to the church and she works at the church. And, you know, she's, she's always at the church. She's always working. And, you know, I get that from my mom too because I'm always working. But that's not the point of the message. But, so, but I'm like, why are you, why is my mom going through this? And through the pain and through the suffering, she still was serving every day. And so one day, I had enough. I want to know, like, why are you so happy? You should not be happy. You have cancer. You're dying. And she told me, Tyler, God has prepared a table for me, so I have peace. And the thing that comes to mind when I think of table is Psalms 23. And we, we read Psalms 23 is, is, Lord is my, shep- my Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He sits me beside still waters. And in verse 5, it says that he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And we could take that even further, is that God prepares a table for you in the midst of the diagnosis. God prepares a table for you in the midst of destruction, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of everything going on. God has a place for you to rest. People are going to look at you when you're going through a situation and ask, How are you making it through? They're going to look at you with confusion and disbelief because somehow, despite the diagnosis, despite the chaos in your life, you're holding it all together and you have peace. But because they are not seated where you are sitting, they do not see what you see. My last point for you, maybe. What you see determines what you believe. If we continue to read Job, we see that finally, after you know, all this time of Job losing everything and everybody telling him, why don't you curse God? What, what's going on? Job finally breaks. It was bound to happen eventually. And Job began demanding answers from God. So Job began questioning God more and more. And the more Job questioned, the more silent God became. And finally, y'all, in chapter 38, God responds. And y'all... God wasn't very happy with Job. We read here in the first seven verses of Job 38 that the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm and he said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. When, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. You marked off its dimensions or who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring uh, line across it? Oh, on where, my goodness, I'm having a hard time reading. On where its footing sets or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted, shouted for joy. If we keep reading 38, in fact, for four more chapters, God is just talking to Job and basically putting Job in his place and saying, hey, don't question me. In a very matter of fact way, these next four chapters, God is telling Job, hey, Job, I am God and you are not so watch who you're talking to. You guys ever have like those arguments and it's like they're questioning everything. And it's like, yo, I know what I'm talking about. Like watch where you're stepping, bro. And so, you know, God has this whole conversation and tells Job like, dude, where were you in the beginning? Where were you during all this? And Job finally has a realization and Job responds in Job chapter 42 that Job replies to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? 
Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Right here, verse 5. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Job did not see what, was going, uh, what God was doing because he was in the middle of his situation. But once he took a step back, once he made it through his situation, he saw how good God was. And it reminds me of a story in, in, uh, in, the, in the four Gospels. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, I think it's Matthew. And it's the story, the disciples, they're out on the boat and there's a storm going on. And they're out on the boat and, and there's a storm and Jesus isn't with them. Jesus hung back for a little bit. So the storm's going on and disciples are freaking out. They're like, where is Jesus? We're going to die. This is it. We're going down. And all of a sudden, this like white figure pops up and is walking across the water. And they're like, it's a ghost. And, and Jesus is like, ah, I'm the Holy Ghost. Amen. And, you know, they have this, they have this like, oh, my gosh, it's Jesus. And, and Jesus tells them like, hey, come out of the boat. And, and Peter we, we often hear the story of Peter, and he gets out of the boat, and he walks on water, and he begins sinking, and Jesus lifts him up, and, you know, and Jesus is there for you when, when you take your eyes off of him. But what so many people forget is how much faith it took for Peter to get out of the boat. We often forget that, that nobody else did. We don't hear about any other disciples getting out of the boat, but we, hear, we see that Peter gets out of the boat. So what Peter does is he's showing, like, hey, in the midst of your storm, keep your eyes focused on God. Have faith. And it's, it's hard to do when we as Christians are called to have faith. But what is faith? Faith is believing in the unseen. And it's really hard to believe in something when you can't see it. And in the moments that you're going through struggles, it's hard to have faith. But once you make it through the situation, you're able to see how good God is during the situation. How many of you have ever been frustrated with God? All the time, right? For me, it's, it's all the time. Maybe it's because of the situation you're in and you just don't feel like God's working. Or maybe it's because like God made a promise to you and you're like, God, I'm ready. Let's move. Okay, God, we're ready. God, door's open. Okay, God, why aren't you responding? And maybe God's just silent. Maybe you're in a situation right now where you just feel stuck. You feel like God's not responding, so he's not working. And uh, what if I told you today that, that there's purpose where God has positioned you right now? I, I want to tell you a, a short story real quick. At 16 years old, I, I was called to ministry, and, and I, I stepped into youth ministry, and I served, you know, religiously in youth. I was there every time the door was open. I served in youth, and I, I began leading devotionals, and then that turned to speaking on Wednesday nights, and then that turned to leading small groups, and that turned to me playing a pretty large role in the youth ministry at the church. And, and so I did that for two years, and I just turned 18 years old, and I get a phone call. I'm leaving an interview for another job, and I get a phone call saying, hey, the youth pastors have stepped down. And immediately I'm like, here we go. This is happening. Here we go. God's going to open the door. And I remember, I remember so much. So I was getting ready to walk. I was like, I was like this is good. We're going to go into the church this Sunday morning, and it's going to be offered to me on a silver platter. Here we go. And I go up, and nothing happened. It's okay, maybe next week. Maybe, maybe Wednesday night I show up and it's like, hey, um, we're going to have this person step up for the time being. We're still looking and it's okay. Well, it's only a matter of time. And I knew my name was in the mix. I've heard it. You know, I just knew it was, of course, I'm saying I knew. I had no proof, but I, I knew, like, this is where God's leading me. This is where I'm going. Y'all, for five months, 
I waited to hear something. And it was Thanksgiving dinner on, in 2018, and I'm sitting down at the table. My aunt and uncle sit down. I was like, hey, are you excited for the new youth pastor? I was like, they hired a new youth pastor. I was never even called. And if I can be honest with you, the story I'm going to tell you later, this was the beginning of where my faith was shaken. And I remember being so frustrated, being so frustrated. And there was a time where I took a step back from youth, and I was just like, God served you. God devoted my time and my heart to you. God, I'm here every Wednesday night. I could be doing anything else. So I go to my, my aunt and uncle, who were the eventual youth pastors down the road. But during this time, I went to them, and I'm just like, I don't get what's going on, y'all. Like, this is, this is frustrating. And I served. I, I, I was there every week without, without missing anything. And they, they really just uh, describe this in such a beautiful way. And I want you guys to know something, um, in case you can't tell. I'm a city boy. So I've never, like, went out and, like, planted fruits or vegetables or, you know, anything like that. I don't have a green thumb. Uh, if anything, I have a trigger thumb from texting too much. But, you know, I, uh, I'm glad you laughed at that. That was good. That was, thank you. I feel, I feel validated there. So, so my, my, my aunt and uncle, they sit me down. They're like, Tyler, have you ever planted a tree? No. They're just show up. And they, they were like, they're like, no, no, no. See, when you plant a tree, it's a lot more than just sprouting up out of the ground. You see, when you plant a tree, there's a process in order to have a product. Planting a tree starts with a seed underground, and before it ever grows upward, it has to grow outward. It has to get rooted before it sprouts out of the ground. And same as us, we have to be rooted in where God has positioned us before we can finally come out of the ground and see what God is doing. God is working even when you can't see it. We look at it as like, God, I can't see you working. So because I can't see you working, you're probably not. What, but what God's trying to get your attention and tell you guys is that, that maybe the reason you can't see what he's doing is because you're not ready nor prepared for what he has ahead of you. Maybe, and this, this is something new, maybe the thing that you're focused on is too small for what God has for you. Maybe, maybe the thing you have is like, hey, this is a great starting point, but do not settle for what I have for you. Maybe, maybe we need to change our perspective and not look at what God is doing around us and look at what he's trying to do to and through us. Once we change our perspective, God's plan will be revealed to your eyes. I want you guys to know something super simple, but super important. God sees what we cannot see. The Bible says that God is all-knowing. He sees everything. He knows everything. I said this at 9 o'clock. God already created this moment right here where I'm telling you guys about how God sees what we cannot see before any of us were ever thought about. Like, that's so crazy to think about is that like God knew that you would come to church on March the 6th, 2022 to hear some 22-year-old guy tell you guys how to fix your focus. Like God knew that you would be here today. And there's a verse that, that so beautifully states what, what God's saying here or what, what uh, my point is here. It's Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. If I could be real with you guys, this verse, I don't really like it. And I'll tell you why, because I'm a planner. Now, I'm not a planter, planner. I like to plan things. We're in the middle of wedding planning right now, and y'all, I love it. 
I love to plan things. I'm one of those people, when you go on vacation, I have an itinerary on where I want to be at this time, at this day. And uh, Motion Conference is going to be awesome for your teens, y'all. That's all I'm going to say. So, you know, I, I'm one who I like to plan things. I like to, I like to know what's going ahead. And right here, what this verse is saying is saying that, that God's like, hey, I have something so much bigger for you, so much better for you, your brain can't even comprehend it. Don't worry about your situation. Trust in me and I got you. And it's just like, this is something really hard for me to do is just to release control. I can't do it, but what God's saying here is like, trust in me. In fact, and I'm going to get to this a little bit more, you're so focused on the mountain when you're not even looking at the God who created the mountain. So some of you may be asking how to focus on God in the midst of the chaos of your own life and how I, a 22-year-old, can stand here and tell you guys that perspective is powerful and it can change everything and, and how what you're looking at is, is important, but it's more important at who you're looking at and he will provide clarity and peace throughout. And I can tell you why, because I've experienced it, because I, I've lived it. And I want to share with you guys something very real and raw and and I'm, I only got a couple minutes left, so I'm going to be, be quick with you. But a year and a half ago, my life was very different. You know, I, I told you guys I was, I was serving in youth, and I was serving in the church, and I, I was on fire for God. And, but when I got that call, though, or was told that, like, hey, they hired a youth pastor, I kind of got hurt. So that really began, like, time to take a step back. So for about three more years, I just was there out of obligation. I wasn't there because I desired to be there. It was out of obligation. And to be honest with you, I got real frustrated and just real tired. And, and so I, at 21 years old, I was like, you know what? I think I know better than God. I got real frustrated in, in my work. I was doing a job that, you know, I was good at, but it wasn't life-giving. And I, I, was, I was in a relationship that, you know, I was happy, but I wasn't, you know, thriving. And, you know, and I just, and to be honest, when you're not thriving, this, this isn't even a marriage lesson, but when, you're, when your marriage isn't thriving, you, if you're not constantly going for more, it's just stagnant, and you don't want a stagnant relationship. But that's not even a marriage lesson. I'm not even qualified to preach on marriage, but it's okay. So I, I did something, and I took matters to my own hands, and one day I packed up my stuff, and I left Southern Illinois. I left my marriage. I signed away everything, and I said, here's, here's the house. You know, here's... You can have your life back. I'll go on with mine, and we'll, we'll be good. And I moved to Nashville, Tennessee. I quit the job where I was, I was good at. I left one nursing job for another nursing job, and I was so excited, and, you know, and had all this. I was so excited to just start this new future, and I get to Nashville, and, and I told myself, I'm not going to church, not doing it. I'm running as far away as I could from God as possible. I want nothing to do with God and his call on my life. And literally, as I'm saying this, my first night in Nashville, y'all, like, I just, like, unpacked my last box. My dad went home that day, and, like, literally an hour later, I was eating Chick-fil-A in the car, and I get, a, I get a text message from a man most of you know if you've been here a while, Mackenzie Morrow. He's like, dude, I live in Nashville. You should come to church with me. And I was like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm, I didn't want to tell him that, you know, I'm not coming to church because, you know, you don't want to tell church people you're not coming to church because they're going to get you to church. So I was just like, man, I don't know. I'm really busy. I'm just trying to find my footing here. So like, I'm going to pass. So I, a couple weeks pass and, and finally he hooks me. He goes, hey, if you come to church with me, my mom will make you dinner. And I was like, oh, okay, here we go. Because, you know, 
you know, 21 years old living in Nashville, Tennessee with three other roommates. And let's be honest, I mean, I can't cook ramen. And this is a true story. I almost burned my house down because I didn't put water in a ramen bowl. But that's a different story for another day. I'm much better now, I promise. But so I, you know, I, I was like, yeah, free food, home-cooked meal. I'm excited. You know, so I go, I go to the church that day and, and I make it through the entire service. Worship is awesome. And, you know, and, and the sermon was great. And we're literally standing up to say goodbye. And the pastor gets up on stage and is like, hey, God's telling me to tell somebody in here today to stop running from God, to, to surrender your life and get back to him. And I remember thinking like, dang it. <laughs> so I... I turned my butt around and walked out of that church and I was like, you know what, no. But I think Mackenzie caught on quickly to what he had going there. And every time he invited me to church, like, hey, if you come by afterwards, mom will cook for you. I can't say no to free food. I mean, come on now. Free food's the best food. Anyway, that's not the point of the lesson. So I keep going and y'all, for two and a half, three months, I went to this church and every single time without fail, the pastor would be on stage. And as we're leaving or throughout the service, he's just like, Whoever you are that's running from God, God's telling you to stop running. And I was just like, God, I'm here. I'm here at the church. I'm here serving you. This camp, you're not talking about me. I'm here. I'm here. You're talking to somebody else. And a situation happened not too long later where I had to move home. And so I move home and I, um, I, get, I get back and I tell my mom, like, hey, you know, I know I was in church, but to be completely honest with you guys, I was embarrassed. I left, I left in a very bad way. And I knew what people were thinking about me. So I, I, I was like, I'm not gonna go to church. So a month passed and my mom goes, hey, it's Mother's Day. Can you please come to church with me? That's all I want for Mother's Day. And I'm like, yeah, God can't get me on Mother's Day. I was wrong. I get to church on Mother's Day and worship is going and you know, I can feel God moving and, and the, the worship pastor has a very special place in my heart, is on stage and he goes, I don't know who you are in this room, but God's telling you that you've stopped running. You've made it home. And immediately I fall to my knees and I'm crying and I'm just like, I don't understand. I, 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 I thought like I was supposed to be out of Illinois and like everything bad is here in Illinois. Why are my back? God, why are you here? Why am I here now? So I, I sat at the altar and I had some of my bestest friends just speak life into me and pray and life into me. And, and I, from that moment on, that was in May, in June, I was like, someone's gotta give. I started serving back in youth. In July, I was baptized, recommit my life to Christ. Y'all in September, literally, four months that I moved, actually it was like six months that I moved to Nashville, moved home, you know, recommitted my life to Christ. In September, I got a call from a 22-year-old man here in Murfreesboro, 23-year-old man. He was like, hey, I've heard your name. We got something really cool here going on, Murphy. Are you interested? And I was just like, is this it? Is this, is this the door God's opening? So I showed up to church here in October and I was very skeptical, y'all. I'm gonna be real with you. I didn't share this at nine o'clock, but I was real nervous. I was just like, there's no way that a, a kid my age is leading a congregation and doing something this awesome in Murphy. So I show up and, and I'm sitting right where Ed's sitting right now at the nine o'clock service. And y'all, I'll be honest, I showed up late because I didn't want to, you know, 
cause a scene when I showed up early. I showed up late, worship is going, and, and literally as worship is happening, God's just speaking to me saying, this is where you're supposed to be. And in that moment, it was revealed to me that everything I went through from 16 years old on was God preparing me for this moment right here, right now. Is God preparing me for this ministry I'm in, for, for the church, for the ground we are taking. And, you know, in October, uh, my first Sunday here, Noah sat down with me and he said, hey, this church, our goal is to take ground. And y'all, I am so happy to be a part of this. This is way off my notes, but God is doing something so awesome here in Murfreesboro. And, and to go all the way back, I didn't see what was going on then. I didn't see, 18-year-old Tyler didn't see what God was preparing for me now. But man, looking back, looking back at what God has done, the faithfulness he's had, the, you know, my eyes had heard of what God's done, but now that I've experienced it, now that I've seen what God is doing, my eyes have seen it and now I believe it. And some of you might be in this room right now and, and you're saying, well, Tyler, that's, that's just your situation. Tyler, God's only done that for certain people. Y'all, God has done it before and God's gonna do it again. So how do we fix our focus? And I have two things before you leave here, two ways we can fix our focus. First off, we have to stop looking at the situation. Stop looking at the things going around us and start looking at God. In other words, and, and I love this verse, Jason Franklin say this, you gotta stop looking at the mountain and start looking at the mountain mover. Stop looking at your storm and look at the God who calms the storm. Stop looking at your situation, start looking at God. And lastly, instead of asking God why you're going through this situation, ask God what he's doing in your situation. Ask God what he's preparing you for in your situation. Instead of asking God, God, why am I going through this? Ask God, what are you doing? God, give me peace, give me clarity, give me vision. God, above all else, have your way. God, don't let me, you know, make decisions that are gonna hurt me, but God, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts, so God, lead the way, open the doors. And some of us in here today, we might be sitting here and, and you're, you're hearing this and you're just like, man, I want that. Man, you know, Tyler, I've, you, you've told me and I, I heard you speak today about what God's done in your life. I want that to happen in my life. Tyler, I, I want to experience the same God that changed your life. And can I tell y'all, he's here today and he's open for you. If everybody will, will bow your heads and close your eyes, we're gonna, we're gonna pray real quick and we're gonna pray over our, our, our perspective. So God, we come to you right now and in this moment of, of vulnerability, God, God, in this moment where we're leaving it all out for you, God, God, I pray that you, you fix our focus, God. Help us to focus on you in the midst of the chaos, God, in the midst of the diagnosis, God, in the midst of, of just the storm in our life, God, give us peace. God, above all else, give us clarity, give us, give us vision, God. God, help us to, to stop asking why and start asking what you're doing, God. God, help us to prepare our hearts for what you're doing in our life, God. God, help us to just focus on you in all things, God. Stop looking at the storm and start looking at you. And God, we thank you. With your heads bowed, eyes closed still, there's an amazing opportunity today. If, if you've never been baptized, today is Baptism Sunday, and 
and you can get baptized. If you, if you didn't prepare anything, that's okay. We got stuff here for you to be baptized today. But if you've never accepted Jesus into your life, today would be an awesome day to do so. In fact, I, I would say there's, there's no better time. So with your, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, we're gonna say this prayer in church. Since, since we all believe it, I want everybody to say it with me. But for those who mean it, for those that this message spoke to you and you're saying, God, I, I've seen you move and God, I heard of what you've done, but God, I want that in my life. I want you guys to pray this in me. So repeat after me, Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for your constant love and grace. God, I pray that you forgive me of my sins. God, thank you for washing me clean. Thank you for making me whole. Thank you for saving me. And thank you for sending me your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give those people a round of applause?